Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me today. Today's episode was recorded from the show floor at one of my all-time favorite events, Canoe Copia. Billed as the world's largest paddle sports expo, this event is held annually in Madison, Wisconsin, and features more than 100,000 square feet of canoes, kayaks, kit, outfitters, everything you can imagine, plus more than 100 speakers on an incredible array of topics. I am honored to be one of those speakers, and it's always a ton of fun for me. And we got a great lineup of guests for you today. I've got nine separate guests who are going to join us, some favorites from the past, so uh, Susan Conrad and Tracy Lynn Martin are going to join us and tell us about some of their most recent adventures as well as some upcoming things. And then we've also got some new guests here, Andy Butler, product manager from P&H Piranha, and uh, Jason Thielen from Little Bay Boards, Taylor Robertson from Warner Paddles, and Ellie Connolly from the Isle Royal Family and Friends Association, um, as well as a couple of other uh, past guests, Ethan Shyway, Joey Schott, and Stig Larson. Now, Stig is from Level 6, and I want to give a big thank you to Stig Larson and the entire Level 6 team for the use of their booth to record this episode. And speaking of Level 6, they've been a great supporter of this show, and I am pleased to announce that they are making a special offer just for you as a Paddling the Blue podcast listener. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, visit their website at level6.com. That's six spelled out S-I-X, so level6.com. And use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. I have a long sleeve and a short sleeve dry top from Level 6, as well as a pair of their pants. And I love the fit and feel, and they look great. Now, because this episode is from Rutabaga's Canoe Copia show, you can also visit rutabaga.com and use the same code PTBPODCAST at checkout to get 10% off Level 6 gear from there as well. And before we get to Canoe Copia, if you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, James and Simon just keep on adding to the menu. One of my latest favorites is the documentaries. The Sleeping Giants video from Iceland is really impressive. So visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com, use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. So with that, enjoy today's episode from Canoe Copia. All right, so Susan Conrad has joined me. Susan was a previous guest on episode 45 of Paddling the Blue. So welcome, Susan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we are here at Canoe Copia. Um, so Susan, you recently did a second Inside Passage expedition, and this one was the uh, second Inside Passage. So it was in 2022, correct? Yeah, I originally had it planned for 2020, but we all know what kind of put that on the back burner. Sure. So I got to take off in 2022. Yeah. All right. So tell us about that expedition and how that might have been different from the one that we heard about in episode 45. Yeah, it was quite different. Um, I, I deviated from the traditional inside passage route once I got into Alaskan waters and kind of made a northwest trajectory to Sitka, Alaska. I was okay. retracing the route of um, a woman, uh, the late, great Audrey Sutherland, the grand oh, yes. dame of expedition paddling. So that was a catalyst for me to um, do that very challenging northwest trajectory. It was a much more challenging trip, you know, off the, like I said, off the traditional route. It wasn't a particularly good summer to do the Inside Passage. Um, I think uh, 2010, um, I was blessed with some pretty good conditions. I thought that was challenging, but I had some big gales, lots of waiting for good weather windows, more bear encounters, more problematic camping the whole thing just so. all of that so and i'm 12 years older right so <laughs> it's like okay i'm a glutton for punishment so it wasn't just the conditions but it was everything else that combined to make it that was the different. whole meal deal okay <laughs> now other than um, other than those types of things what did you find different about the i guess i'll say the landscape from mm -hmm. 2010 to 2022 12 years later yeah the parts of my route that um of this recent journey that did parallel the 2010 trip uh, I tried to revisit some of those campsites and, you know, previous storms um, had do totally reconfigured those beaches and there's like, there's no camping here. Okay. And then the other thing that I noticed um, was more um, plastic, you know, washed up uh, uh -huh. on the beaches. Yeah. That, and, and then more shipping traffic, it seemed like, and, you know, all the ports coming into everything just seemed, you know, busier, amped okay. up. All right. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you prefer one route over the other? Oh boy, it's it's tough. Um, 
Last summer's route was phenomenal. Um, I don't know if I would do it again, that particular outside route, because it was so challenging. You know, I'm a solo paddler, and I, I had so much cortisol and adrenaline and all those stress hormones just coursing through my body for 14 solid days. And uh, it, it, it did a number on me, for okay. sure. So I, But it was, I mean, the photos that I got, the memories, just phenomenal you know it's always after the fact that I was like that was a really cool trip but when you're in it like this was not in the brochure I want my money back <laughs> <laughs> any uh, do you have a specific story that you'd like to share from that trip oh there's always the bear story right All right. <laughs> we got time for the bear story sure. so it's always I'm just minding my own business right but it was actually um, my very first it was supposed to be my first campsite once I got into Alaskan waters and tiny little island you know I know bears swim but really wasn't anticipating a bear pulled my kayak up Tide was way out. It was a huge slip, bringing all the gear up, the kayak itself. Tethered the kayak off to a large log, sitting on the other side of the log. Bear sprays in the kayak, not handy. It's lunchtime. I have a sandwich on my lap. Okay. And I hear this galloping sound in the forest behind me, and it took my brain a few seconds to register what was happening. And a mama bear and a cub came galloping out of the forest and literally came to a skidding stop. 30 feet in front of me. Okay. It was almost like a cartoon, like just like watching them skid in the sand and look at me in wow. horror. I jump up, sandwich goes in the sand, I'm screaming and yelling like a lunatic, and they circle back into the woods where they come out of, but I don't know why, 30 seconds later, she makes a Yui and comes right back toward me. Wow. Yeah, just they just wanted to pass me on the beach. They weren't really being aggressive, okay. but... Yeah, it's just like still what? scary. WTF? So um, I'm jumping and yelling and screaming, and they they did a 180 again, and they um, disappeared um, into the forest. I've got a funny um, video clip that I'm sharing in my slideshow presentation where I thought I was just taking a quick photo. I thought I might as well document my own death, uh, but it was in video mode, and I didn't realize it. So it's pretty hysterical what what uh, I captured. All right, now Audrey Sutherland. Mm -hmm. So she's your mentor, your hero. She is. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Audrey, and Audrey was impressive in, in terms of the expeditions that she did. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Audrey. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, she's the grand dame of expedition paddling. She'd um, <clears throat> done tens of thousands of miles, almost always solo, in an inflatable kayak. Yeah. Nine-footer she started out with, and she eventually upgraded to maybe a 15-footer, if that. Um, but she did this all, all solo, um, in, you know, in her 60s, 70s, and well into her 80s. Yeah. So almost 90 years old. You know, anytime I complain that I'm too old for this stuff, I, I think of Audrey. Just yeah. my, my inspiration, my hero. Yeah. She's got a, there's a few books out uh, by Audrey Sutherland. I can't remember the pa name. Paddling North, published yes. by Patagonia Press. That was my Bible for the Alaskan portion. I annotated my charts based on her, um, her journey in the early 80s. Um, and I, I camped in some of the same spots she did, pitched my tent in the same exact, I'm thinking the same exact areas, uh, soaked in the same hot springs, uh, laid my head on some of the same um, wilderness cabin bunks, um, even recreated some of the recipes that she shares in, in that last book of hers. So Very cool. Yeah. Well, she was quite an inspiration. Yeah, she oh. really was. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a great show. All right, with me now is Tracy Lynn Martin. And Tracy Lynn Martin was a guest on episode three of Paddling the Blue back in the early days, so three years from uh, three years ago now. Uh -huh. And so, Tracy, welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. So you have a, a really cool expedition coming up over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that expedition. So the expedition is called Points North. And I work as a nurse. And so I took a job in Anchorage, Alaska two years ago and I was there for a year. And so I was doing some touristy stuff in a shop and I saw this really cool map on one of the walls in one of the little touristy areas I went to. And it was about the um, San Francisco Gold Rush route where you had the, um, the individuals would either go start in St. San Francisco and go up through the Inside Passage to hit the Yukon River or else go across the ocean, go up the Yukon River and um, to hit the gold mines. And so I thought, what a cool kayaking trip would that be? And so I bought the map and I've spent the last year, year and a half planning out the trip. And uh, I'm gonna be leaving in May. And the first part of the journey will be, I'm gonna um, actually drive to San Francisco and follow the coastal line up to Seattle, put my kayak in the water in Seattle, 
paddle the inside passage all the way to Skagway, Alaska. That's uh, all the way through British Columbia. And then I'm going to hike over the mountain trails that the, the gold rushers hiked over to get all the equipment to the Yukon. That'll be this year. And then next year, I'm going to go back and paddle the whole length of the Yukon River. Wow, that's a cool trip. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I love the multimodal aspect of it as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much involved in it. And, you know, I, expeditions that I've done in the past have always been about beating the clock, beating time. You know, I tried to do the Great Lakes. I did the Mississippi River. It was all about speed. And this is the first expedition where I'm just going to enjoy the journey. And I don't care if it takes three months or if it takes four months. I'm just going to be out there. I'm going to enjoy the journey and the wildlife, the whales. Um, it's just going to be amazing. That's really cool. Soak it all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And I, and I love that. You know, I love that it's not about beating the clock. It's about really soaking in the experience. Right. And so you know, if I, if I find a really cool spot and I'm going to stay there for a day or two, I'm just going to stay there. There's nothing pushing me. Sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. I mean, as long as I finish before winter. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had another experience in Alaska with a with another famous paddler. Tell us about I that. I did. So. Um, when I was in Anchorage, I saw that Freya Hofmeister, the, uh, she's a German expedition paddler who's cir currently circumnavigating all of North America. And she put out on her website, she was looking for a paddler to paddle with her up along the coast of Alaska and on into Canada. And I'd actually reached out to her and said, you know, I can't do it this year, I've got my own expedition, but keep me in mind for two or three years in the future. And she talked me into actually um, meeting up with her and doing it last year. Um, and we end, we only ended up paddling two days together along the point of um, Barrel, the furthest point north of the um, United States. But it was really amazing paddling through the icebergs, getting to meet someone who's always been my hero. Yeah. And um, her accomplishments are just phenomenal. And, um, and I walked away from the experience with a new friend and a new appreciation of what it takes to paddle in the Arctic. That's, that's, really, that's really great. <laughs> so, now, so. What, uh, is there something specific that you really just picked up and you really learned from Freya? I mean, she's had so much experience. Yeah, you know, there was a lot about her. Um, her navigation techniques are different than mine, and so I really tried to absorb, I tried to be a sponge and just absorb everything she had to say. Um, she's been doing this for a long time, and she really knows what she's doing. Um, and so I just tried to absorb everything, the navigation, some of the charts that she does. Um, you know, some of the paddling techniques, um, the type of boat she uses, the way that she packs her boat. I mean, there was really nothing that you could not take away from her and not gain in just experience from from her experience. I mean, she's an amazing person. That's, that's fantastic. Now, you also did the Mississippi again. I did. I paddled the whole length of the Mississippi River back in uh, 2021, and I set a speed record for the fastest solo descent from source to sea of a solo female. I did it in 55 days. Um, I think prior to that, the fastest woman had done it in 61 days, and um, it was an amazing experience. The Mississippi River is so full of wildlife and such beauty. You know, people think of the Mississippi maybe as not that mad, you know, that great around the cities, but when you're out in the wilderness area, it is so amazing and teeming with the wildlife. Um, I was seeing just amazing things every day and um, especially when you're out by yourself and camping along the river at night and having the big boats going by it was just in the sunrises and the sunsets you just you can't beat it if you've never paddled the mississippi you should take a week or two and, and do it very cool especially the upper mississippi um, around minnesota okay yeah awesome now if somebody wants to follow the points north expedition where would they go um so I'll be doing daily updates on my Facebook page, and it's called Just Around the Point, and points, P-O-I-N-T-E. I also have a website called Just Around the Point, but that's focused more on the two years that I was paddling the Great Lakes. Um, but if you want to stay up to date on my trip, Points North, through the Inside Passage, then you'd have to do it on Facebook. All right. Tracy, thank okay. you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. All right, enjoy the show. Thank you. With me next is Andy Butler, and Andy is the product manager for Piranha, P&H, and Venture Boats. So welcome, Andy. 
Hi, how's it going? Good. Now you you came in just for the show, right? Just for the show. So I flew in flew in at the end of last week, uh, flying out again tomorrow. So it's a short, quick trip over here. It's uh, been very interesting. Not as cold as I was threatened with, but uh, <laughs> it's been a been a fun fun event. Yeah. So what are you thinking of Canoe Copia? Oh, it's it's stunning. There's so many great people here. So much enthusiasm. So many great products and. Uh, just impressed with the whole setup you know yeah. this this whole show being put on by a, a dealer is uh, super super impressive so yeah. uh, big thanks to the guys at Rita Vega for uh, all their efforts and uh, yeah, yeah let's hope it's a big success and keeps going yeah they do a nice job this is the uh, I forget how many years 24 28 this is a, it's been a lot it's been a long time for this particular show yeah I mean it's, so. it's definitely my first one but uh, Chris over at the booth he's uh, definitely stopped counting it's, he's not sure if it's 15 or 20 years but he's uh, Desperately trying not to remember because I, I think that's going to upset him remembering how old he is. <laughs> so now, I, I imagine that one of the things you're able to do here at the show is a little reconnaissance for boats you don't normally see. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of products over here in the American market that just are not available in Europe. Um, brands we never ever get to see. Um, some cool cool concepts coming out from people. Um, in particular, there's a, a lot of nice, really compact uh, composite canoes here that uh, we we definitely don't get to see and. Uh, maybe a problem in the volume of our rivers um, we definitely end up with a slightly smaller volume rivers with a lot more rocks in them and a panning a composite canoe would be a, a little bit scary at times got but it are, okay lots of very stunning boats here yeah so tell us about your role as a product manager okay so my role as a product manager is actually a, a fairly new role for piranha so it's uh, something that gray macrith our founder has uh, been basically doing for well the last 50 years essentially um, and he's just trying to you know, keep moving the sport forwards, trying to keep it current. And then with my experience in paddle sports, being a little bit fresher than, uh, than Graham, we just keep that evolution running. So uh, it's a very varied mixed role, for everything from you know, talking to dealers, training staff, um, but kind of the, the real key part of the, boat, the role is, is making sure that the boats are, are right. So through the design phase, through the manufacturing phase, and that the... Uh, the boats are really kind of for enthusiasts, by enthusiasts, and as good as they can be. Okay. Um, all we want to do as a, as a company is make the, the best possible boats, give the paddle sport customers the best possible experience and right. the most fun on the water. Well, as a PH team paddler myself, I, I, I certainly agree. You make a great product, and I know I certainly enjoy it, and you've got a lot of people around the booth here. And we've, uh, that's, that is only possible with our, uh, our great team, so the guys in Derby making all the composite boats and the guys back in uh, in Runcorn doing the plastic plastic rotor molded boats for us yeah. and uh, yeah the the craftsmanship and the skills involved are uh, pretty stunning we try and retain our staff for as long as possible you know our uh, production manager started with us when he was 18 worked his way up um, yeah it's a, it's a great great business to be in everyone's very enthusiastic and uh, just just desperately trying to do the best we can All right. and then sometimes the craftsmanship's you know, we, we see a lot of things happening. We see a lot of products, a lot of boats. And then every now and then, just the craftsmanship will uh, really show through. So recently, we published some photos of a, of a Cetus that uh, Graham went down to P&H. He saw the boat, and he just stopped. You know, he's, he's been making composite boats commercially for 52 years now, um, making boats obviously longer than that, where he's uh, cutting his teeth making his own boats. But yeah, Graham, Graham stopping the show. Yeah. Stopping to look at a boat, that's that's something special. So, uh, I saw the pictures of that, and it was amazing. I mean, I've seen the boat, and I, I couldn't see the cuts. Yeah. There's, there's one cut on there, and even Graham had to be pointed out. It, okay. It's, it's stunning. So for our, stunning. for our listeners, obviously you can't see the boat, uh, but it's a it's an all-composite all boat with a clear coat over it, yeah. so you can see the weave, and uh, and just not a flaw on that boat anywhere. Oh, it's it's perfect. If you want to check out the pictures, go on to our blog, PNHC Kayaks, and... Uh, check it out it's it's stunning yeah i will make sure i include a link to that in the in the show notes so folks can see that as well so in what ways do you as the product manager um have have an influence on that or affect the the quality of the boats over, over time so it well it definitely starts through the design phase you know we need to make sure that the boats are reliable enough for the team to produce that we're not causing them any any difficulties or problems um so the shape's pretty critical in that you know making sure especially for rotor molding that you know we can release the boat there's no no distortions causing and then you know even just for the weight of the boat making sure that the shape's there for the panel stiffness um, and then that will go all the way through the design phase you know getting the molds made 
getting the boats produced and uh, running the QC department as well. Okay. So it's. Uh, so what's coming down the line for Piranha P and H Adventure? I mean, there, there's a lot on the way. The next, the next big project um, is the Evo project for Kayak Cross. So we're uh, just finishing that up at the moment, which is why I unfortunately can't spend any longer longer in America than I uh, I, I have to. <laughs> so I'm, I'm flying back tomorrow. We're uh, heading down to the British team soon. But yeah, that's that project's just about being wrapped up, and it's uh, pretty exciting to be back into slalom again. So for for Piranha, we we, we used to be a slalom company back in mm-hmm. the 70s. You know, we won back-to-back world championships, and then there was various things going on in the industry and. Uh, Graham decided to, to pull out slalom and focus back on plastic boats. And uh, his last slalom was actually in 1985, which was the year I was born. Uh, okay. So uh, we then got to go, and that was in Augsburg. Last year I got to go back to Augsburg with him, with the uh, first generation of the Evo. And uh, in the men's final, we took a clean sweep. We had every single medal. And uh, that was pretty, pretty special for Graham and really special for me as well going back my entire lifetime later yeah so uh we've basically been out out of the game in slalom for 37 years and it's uh great to be back up at the top there very cool now you've had some quite a bit of innovation uh, from the pnh side uh, over the last couple of years with a lot of new boats yeah it's uh you know we just constantly want to keep moving the sport on so we're uh always trying to identify kind of gaps or kind of new innovations to do so the uh the volan and the virgo are a great addition to our range. You know, they're, we kind of call them compact day weekend boats. You can still get enough in there for a good trip if, you're, if you've got lightweight kit. Um, if, if you've got heavy kit, you definitely spend a couple of days living out of your boat and have a great time. Mm-hmm. But then it's, uh, it's a nice stable boat, still pretty quick. Um, and yeah, it's just very, very fun to battle. Um, just trying to make a bit of a blend, and try, trying to move the sport forwards. You know, in, in mountaineering in the past, we used to have very kind of expedition-focused mountaineering. Yes. And it's, it's fun, but it's not the same as alpinism, trying to go a bit harder and faster and a bit quicker. Yeah. So we're trying to kind of make a bit of a switch in times, and the right people can make that switch into a bit more of an alpinist style of sea kayaking, where you don't need to take the kitchen sink with you. you yep. Go a bit quicker, Fast surf some waves, do some rock hopping on the way, paddle a lighter boat, and, and just have a good time out with friends. Excellent. Well, thank you to you and thank you to the entire P&H team for making great boats. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. No worries. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. I'm joined by Jason Thielen from Little Bay Boards out of Petoskey, Michigan. So a neighbor of mine, basically, just down the road. So, Jason, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be on the show. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about Little Bay Boards. Little Bay Boards is an eco-friendly alternative to SUP paddleboarding. All right. So what was your inspiration for for the company? Uh, I basically came across it on accident. My daughter wanted a paddleboard and at the time I couldn't afford to buy her one and I was Googling around and I realized that there was ways to build boards out of wood. And I further studied into that, uh, lucked out and met up with Paul Jensen, uh, the mentor, the godfather of Hollywood and surfboards and bugged him enough with questions on how I could build my own and just kind of developed a process after that and did it for fun and it just got a lot of attention and I just kept doing it. Yeah, so you basically turned that passion into a business. Yeah, yep, yeah, I've been very lucky the last 10 years. I've, you know, just grown and grown and grown and, you know, we're worldwide now. We ship all over the place and, you know, all over the United States and everything and we do really cool custom work for a lot of people and a lot of different businesses. All right, so you mentioned custom work. So uh, for listeners, you can't see these boards, but these boards are absolutely beautiful works of art. Um, some you. might say that you know they're, they're too beautiful to paddle. I don't want to paddle it, but they're strong as well, um, and they're, they're designed mm-hmm. to be in the water. So tell us about your design process with these boats and what makes them so impressive. Uh, well, obviously, like you said, <laughs> the looks, which you can't see on a podcast. but um, We'll, we'll put a just, link in here so people can yeah, see them as well. They're, they're just awe, eye-catching. Um, our process is pretty basic, you know, uh, it's a fishbone frame structure and we have skins on each side, but we're just really artistic with the things that we do and we handpick our woods, we don't use any stains or anything like that, we're VOC compliant on all of our resins and everything. Um, so the process is really fun, it takes about 40 hours nowadays, it used to take me 100, but I got better tools these days in a bigger <laughs> shop. And. Uh, we just, you know, somebody will come in and tell us that they have an idea, or a lot of times they present their tattoo on their arm and say, we want to have this on a board. So we take a picture of it, figure out how to vector it all out, cut it out with a laser and whatnot, match it up with beautiful woods, and just try to make it as stunning as possible every time. All right. So the so the 
um, the the difference in the woods is not stain. It's it's truly different wood types. It's that truly are different, the different woods. Colors. Yeah, we get everything American sourced woods. So white cedars, red cedar. Red cedar's got just a huge array of colors that it can have. So um, we just hand pick through that. A little bit of walnut, a little bit of aspen, from time to time. They're a little bit heavier of a wood, so we try to keep our boards nice and light. But we'll use those for accent pieces, really dark and really light. Okay. All right. What's um, give me one of your favorite designs that you've created. Oh, everyone's kind of, a favorite one. Kind of paint the picture of what one of those might look like. Oh, <laughs> just when you, it's the wood, you know, when you open up wood, you know, we get raw wood and it comes in, you know, two by six or eight by eight form or whatever. And we start opening it up, you know, running it through the saw. What you see in grains is, you know, God makes the colors. We're just lucky enough to figure out how to put them together. So each one is just, you know, it's inspiring to look at each section of it every time, you know. So I don't know that there's any one design that I can pick out and say it's my absolute favorite because there's just some woods that are just beautiful on each mm-hmm. one. Now you've blended wood and, e- and epoxy to create kind of a, like a, almost a river or, or adding color to the boards. Right? Yeah, yep, yeah. I've seen river tables one time on Instagram and I was like, oh, i got to figure out how to make a board out of that. So it took me <laughs> a couple months to figure out the engineering on it to get it strong enough and light enough. And uh, so, yeah, we do that quite a bit, and we do all kinds of crazy designs with translucent epoxies and stuff. Okay. I know one of my favorites is, so so I live in the the northwest corner of Michigan, much like you. I'm hoping you're in Batowski. I'm in Traverse City. And uh, and one of the boards that I saw actually has the the outline of the coast. Yeah, the um, west coast of Michigan, yeah. Yeah. And it's just a, a, you know, it obviously reminds me of home, but just a Mm. a really neat piece, and the, the contrast of the woods is really cool. Right, yeah. It's helpful when we come here to these shows, people ask where we're from, we can just point at the board and say we're from right there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right. Well, if somebody wanted to learn more about Little Bay Boards, where would they go? They would go to our website, um, littlebayboards.com, or we're, we've got a presence on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well to see boards and our process while we're building and stuff. But, yeah, the website's got hundreds of boards that we've built over the years on there. Okay. Lots of different stories, reviews, and all that kind of stuff. And if someone happens to be in the area, you've got a showroom, right? Yeah, we do. Yep. Yeah, we have an 800-square-foot showroom inside of our 10,000-square-foot shop. We do tours of the shop. You know, we got different people that want to see what's being done in there, so we show them all the things. So for the laser, they don't really get to see because we're extremely expensive, but they can see it through a window kind of okay. thing. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we love giving tours. We love talking about the process. You know, we got all kinds of cool things to do in there. Good. You enjoying the show here? I love cooking? it. Yeah, it's been really great. There's so many nice people here. All the other vendors are just so helpful and kind, and all the people are really polite and really nice. And it's just, yeah, it's really stoked. It's really busy. Everybody's super excited about everything that's going on. You know. Excellent. Glad you're enjoying it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. All right, thanks for having me on. All right. Joining me next is Stig Larson. Stig is the president and co-founder of Level 6. So we're here in the booth um, again, like we've been uh, last year as well. So welcome, Stig. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah. So it's been a, been a year since we've caught up. So tell us what's happening with Level 6. Well, it's been a pretty busy year for us. We, um, we celebrated our 25th anniversary as a company last October. And with that, we, uh, we've been in talking a lot about our, our what's the future of the brand. So we had a big rebranding, a new logo that we launched, um, and then really kind of made public the, uh, the initiatives we've been working on forever um, as a brand, but no one really, we never really advertised it. Uh, really talked about our, you know, our, our approachability, our sustainability, and our, and our affordability as a brand and um, trying to grow the community. And all, you know, with that, we won a sustainability award at the Palace Sports Show in France. Congrats. Thank you. Um, based on the fact that we have eliminated, you know, all plastic packaging from our from our goods, um, all of our paddling gear is 100% recycled now. Um, for 2024, all of our casual has, has been 100% recycled. Um, so I think we're at almost 90% of our line is using recycled fabrics now. So that's we're pushing for 100%. Um, but that's those are some big changes for us. Um, expensive changes, but. It's kind of we knew that's where we were we were needed to be. Yeah, and if it, you know, there may be an expense associated with it, but it pays off in in really honoring the ethics of the company. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we ha- we really you know, we have customers, I mean, lifelong customers, and you know, we kind of really owe it to who we who helped build the brand to continue to follow what what they want from us as well. Yeah. So you've got a new product out here. We do. Yeah, we've got the Porter bag, um, brand new for this year. Um, we really wanted to create something that was unique for us in the industry. Uh, so a waterproof uh, duffel bag, but it's, it's made in such a way that can go in between your legs when you're kayaking, so you can put all your expensive camera or sound equipment in there, or safety kits, um, and you jam between your legs, and you can go paddling and open it up, a quick, quick go ability to open it up with the T-zip, 
closure. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really cool. It's being very well received. Yeah, so it's not a roll top kind of thing. It's just a, a small duffel bag, T-zip. You rip that, or you pull that open, and you exactly, get access yeah. to fully, things right away. Fully welded seams. Um, we got some different welding loops on there for attachment points for different different situations. Um, it actually also incorporates into our quick release belt, um, so you can have it on your back when you're hiking, stuff like that as well. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it's very cool. All right. Now I see you've got a got one sitting on the table here. You've uh, you're selling it at the show. Um, we launched it here at the show. Okay. Um, they are available as of right now at all your all the, all the local dealers, and of course the dealers that have purchased into it, and you know level6.com as well. Fantastic. But, yes. All right. Now you also uh, have been involved in another activity recently, and that is uh, one of the co-founding members of the. Uh, Paddle Sports Trade Coalition. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I'm going to call it like the take two. Um, quite a few years ago, when we realized that our industry kind of needed its own voice and its own trade show, if you will, um, we started you know, we started working with um, a couple of gentlemen who just started the Paddle Sports Retailer Show, and the Trade Coalition was kind of ad hoc formed in order to bring all the voices of the, you know, the different stakeholders in our industry together kind of rally the troops um, and get them to you know, get behind a common movement. Uh, COVID happens, you know, trade shows kind of disappeared for a moment. Everyone's scattered just trying to manage what, you know, the supply chains in their own industries. Um, but there has been a resurgence now, a regrouping of that. Um, we all got together and we got to, you know, a call out to a lot of the major brands came. We met in Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas um, in January and with an active goal of redoing this Palace Sports Trade Coalition and, you know, actually pushing all the, pushing forward now to actually be able to create something that's going to be a lifelong uh, organization that's going to help grow paddle sports. Very cool. Now, how, how do you see that helping both the industry as well as the consumer? Yeah, I mean, we're still very much in the infant stages of this. I mean, the mission statement of, of the Trade Coalition is going to be about you know growing paddle sports and also making uh, people aware of you know safety concerns of paddle sports, helping the retailers, helping the outfitters, uh, media, uh, and the brands and the sales reps all coming together to maybe streamline some of the messaging, um, working together to have a common goal, uh, like they, like they have in other industries like mountain biking or things like that. So I think it's going to help us because we'll be able to at the very least be able to meet annually and talk about you know the common issues and. Uh, that we're all having and then also um, the common goals that we're trying to head for um, and even some of the things you see you know it's like advocacy groups and like that we can work together and, and and at least at least work as a unified body to solve some of these issues that are happening okay now you mentioned this is take two so the clearly there was a take one yes um, how will this one be different um, well we're hoping this one will be different because we have more invested people um, in the first round it, you know, I, I think our, our clear goal wasn't um, maybe formulated as well. Um, we didn't have as many major stakeholders involved. And I think this time here, um, everyone saw what the potential of this industry is and could be um, during the pandemic. I think we realize now that it's more important than ever to get together and try to maintain that, that growth, uh, try to maintain that participation as well. Yeah. So I think, <clears throat> I think having that um, taste of what this industry really could be um, has made people more interested in, in growing it. All right. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the growth in paddle sports over the past few years has been huge, and that's one of the challenges, being able to keep that momentum going. Yes, and I mean, for every new user, you, you want to keep them on board. You want to keep them enjoying the sport. Um, and how do you do that? You know, through education, um, you know, maybe more accessibility to, to water, getting the retailers, you know, more involved in the direction of things as well. Like it can't just be about the brands themselves deciding how we're going to go. It has to be, you know, the retailers got to be the sales reps, got to be the outfitters, um, the club level. You know, getting that everyone involved and trying to grow that, grow the sport. All right. So this is not just manufacturers involved. You're looking at all facets of the sport to engage them. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that may have been probably our mistake in the first time. It was, it, it was more of a, a brand. Uh, coalition where we our goal was really was about the the trade show and okay. I think um, the trade show for sure is going to be part of this um, puzzle but it's also getting all the stakeholders together um, involved because you, you, know, you know brick and mortar retail like it's very very important to everybody you mm -hmm. know how do you how do you try a boat unless you can touch it and feel it and see it so that we need the health of the retailers to be strong 
in order for the you know the brands to be strong and the participation to be strong. Yeah, and you need the uh, the outfitters, the and, and uh, the coaches, instructors. That's right. Um, all that to really keep the momentum going as well on the, at the ground level. That's right. Yeah, I mean, the more people who are involved and in actively you know recruiting people to try this industry, uh, try this sport, uh, the better it is for everybody. Super. Well, thank you for your efforts in continuing to grow the sport, and uh, congratulations on the new launch here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. All right, I'm with Joey Schott right now, and Joey was a guest on episode 19 of Paddling the Blue. Welcome, Joey. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's good to see you here at the Canoe Copia Show. It's been a couple years since you've been here. It's, yeah, it's good to be back. Good yeah. to be back. All right, and you've got your own, well, you got, you're here with Lendl, right? Uh, yes, I am representing so Lendl and, as well as our, ourselves. All right, so tell us what's <clears throat> been happening since, uh, since episode 19 with Turning Point Boatworks. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been pushing forward with the uh, production of the Petrol Play. Uh, we've got the new Petrol coming out. We're weeks away from the first one popping out of the mold for that. Uh, and we're here with a new Sit on Top, which is the Outcast. It's a fishing slash wreck kayak. Uh, whopping 33-pound sit-on-top kayak. So, All right. Yeah, the... Uh, That's a considerable difference from most, uh, most sit-on-tops. Yes, it's huge. And it's, it's amazing the response we've gotten because we just put a sign on that says, pick me up and guess the weight. And, and that's just started so many conversations. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little hoarse now, <laughs> so... All right. So tell us about the, the, the petrol. Uh, the petrol is, oh my gosh, uh, my favorite boat. I've been waiting to do this for now seven years to, to bring this boat out. Uh, traditional uh, dimensions, uh, 17 feet, 20 inch beam, uh, considered to be a medium volume uh, performance sea kayak. Um, all infusion build. Uh, we've got three different layups. Again, same as the petrol play. Um, projected weight for a fiberglass version is going to be 40 to 41 pounds. Okay. All right, not bad for a 17-foot boat, for, for fiberglass even. Right, yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, what are your other uh, other layups? Uh, we also have Basalt and Agra. It's been huge amongst the uh, the, the teaching crowd, uh, as well as guides. Uh, super duper durable. Uh, I'm still scratching my head as why more manufacturers haven't you know, adopted uh, Inagra as a, as a fabric for their boats. Because okay. it's just super durable. Canoe guys get it. Uh, sea kayak. We're still kind of breaking new ground here. Okay. Now, why do you suppose that uh, that hasn't caught on? I don't know. I don't know. It is a U.S.-based or uh, U.S.-manufactured uh, fabric, okay. um, so that may, because most of our, our Seacock manufacturers are overseas, so that may be what the, the barrier is. Um, so I, I'm, I'll take that and run with it. All right. And what is it? Uh, what is it that creates that durability with that fabric? Uh, it, it acts very much like Kevlar. Okay. Uh, within the layup, uh, it uh, if you if you mm -hmm. fracture the layup. Excuse me. If you fracture the layup, it will not break the laminate. It's still a, you know, it's still a complete laminate. Uh, you can't hold it. Uh, I've got a piece over there now that I just challenge people to try to tear it. That's it's already folded, and they can't tear it. We still have had no success in somebody, you know, ripping it apart. Okay. All right. And then uh, uh, you, you mentioned three layups. So what's your third? Right. And then we have full carbon, which okay. is the most popular layup that we have because it is the lightest. Uh, again, it has a Negra in the, in the matrix, uh, which just takes carbon to the next level. Okay. Now, out of curiosity, and I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you'll have this answer right off the top of your head, the Petrol Play. <laughs> mm -hmm. How many Petrol Plays have, uh, have gone out the door since you started uh, molding those? I think we're up to hole number 40. Okay. So uh, pretty, in looking back, I, I don't know where all that time went. Because, so, <laughs> uh, you know, every one of them has been, you know, a boat that I have had my hands on. And, yeah. you know, we're getting into that zone now that we're having other people lay up boats and stuff. It's uh, it's a little nerve-wracking for me, uh, but I, I'm, I'm still very, very involved in the whole process. A little right. bit too involved sometimes, <laughs> you know, if you ask the right person. So, <laughs> Now, what's the cycle time from start to finish for, uh, for building a boat for you? Uh, it's about a two-week process from the start to finish. Okay. Um, yeah, so we've, we've constantly got a, a stream of things going on, so there's, there's never any rest time as far as that's concerned. But, yeah, it's about two weeks from the time we spray up the mold with the gel coat to the time that it's it's ready to hit the water. All right. Now this new fishing kayak that you mm -hmm. have. Yeah. Um, what was the motivation behind that? Where did that one start? Wait. It came. It was. It, it actually is a, a project that. Uh, that's how I met uh, Lendl. Um, uh, Duffy had contacted me and and said, you know, you might be the perfect person to build this kayak. And that's where the conversation started. And you know, of course, we got involved with uh, Apex with their project. 
And you know that didn't work out kind of the way that either one of us envisioned, uh, which is fine. And you know now the time is right for us to bring this forward into the market. And okay. As of right now, we're the lightest, you know, 13 foot fishing kayak on the market by pretty pretty wide margin. Okay. Now uh, this, this is your your kind of soft launch here. Your 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 public launch here. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a soft launch. Okay. Um, yeah. So we we finished the the, the green boat, which is the the first production one. Uh, literally on Wednesday, so. <laughs> right, and we're and we're recording this on a Saturday, so uh, right. you had to drive here from from Virginia as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it it's been a it's been a whirlwind kind of you know kind of event, and um, I was I was noncommittal, you know, when people would ask me, "Are you going to be at Canucopia and all that kind of stuff?" And I said, "That's what we're planning on." That was my standard issue answer, uh, but here we are, and it is here. Um, you know, last night was, uh, I was a little discouraged, uh, but this morning, as soon as the gates opened, we had nothing but, you know, people asking questions. They would pick the boat up and they were shocked at how light it was. Um, and it, it's just been a, a really cool uh, experience. So I've, I've got quite a few contacts where we're gonna continue talking about building them one from here forward. So nice. very, very cool, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So. Um, how would someone find Turning Point Boatworks? Uh, they would go to our outdated website. So it's <laughs> turningpointboatworks.com. Most people find us through Instagram and also Facebook, which is also Turning Point Boatworks. All right. Joey, thanks for joining me today. Hey, it was a pleasure, man. Thanks. All right. Up next is Taylor Robertson. Taylor is the sales and marketing director for Werner Paddles. So, Taylor, welcome. Good afternoon, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us what's happening with Werner. All kinds of good things are happening with Werner. Uh, we're getting back on track with our production. Uh, just like many vendors in the last two or three years, it's been a, a rough go. Uh, but uh, we are back online producing lots of paddles and happy to be back here at Canoe Copia. That's great. So you've got, you got a, a full range of paddles that really meet all the anybody's skill level, right? Absolutely. Our philosophy is if it takes a paddle, we want to build the paddle for that craft. Okay. Uh, we build sup paddles, whitewater paddles, touring paddles, canoe paddles, raft paddles, uh, and you know we take pride in servicing all of those segments. Okay. So there's lots of different paddle manufacturers here at Canoe Copio. Why Werner? There's some great paddle manufacturers here, and we've got some great competitors. You know, Werner's been in the business since 1965 uh, building paddles. Uh, Werner Sr., uh, the founder of the company, uh, brought his engineering skills uh, all the way from Europe uh, over to the Pacific Northwest and settled uh, in the Seattle area and started building all kinds of equipment, uh, not just paddles, but uh, you know, paddle jackets, boats, everything. You couldn't just go down to a store in the 50s and 60s and buy this stuff. So he took great pride in uh, developing all the equipment, him and his wife Martha, and they really did settle in on paddles as being uh, the number uh, one product that they wanted to focus on. And paddles are so important because they really are, uh, you know, sort of the motor of your craft. A paddle is your direct link with the water, and it really can make for a good experience or a bad experience if you get a, a bad heavy paddle, uh, both on and off the water. Sure. So we uh, we definitely pride ourselves in building our products uh, in in the, the Northwest, handcrafting our paddles. Uh, if you see a paddle on uh, a showroom floor, uh, that good chance that paddle has been touched by about 20 different sets of hands before it makes it uh, to a retailer. So uh, we we take pride in our staff. Uh, we have paddlers uh, on our staff. I'm a paddler. I'm a former whitewater paddler, former U.S. kayak team member. Uh, and I feel lucky to be able to work within this industry and work with great people like you, John, and all of our friends in this industry. So it's, it's just great, uh, great to be a part of it. Cool. So I interviewed Brian Henry a while back. And uh, so Brian told me a story of kind of paddlers getting together and they had to, like you mentioned, build their own gear because it just didn't exist. And uh, he told a story about being in Werner's rumpus room, as he called it, uh, in the, basically in the basement with all these icons of the paddle sports world, uh, just kind of figuring out, I think what the time was, Trade Association of Paddle Sports, yes. uh, and they just kind of formed that. I thought, wow, what a, what a cool opportunity that would have been to be a fly on the wall and hear those discussions. Absolutely, and uh, you know, uh, it, it's a coincidence you bring that up because we're working uh, on a new paddle sports trade coalition currently. Uh, where we have a number of different vendors uh, vested in really driving our uh, our sport and our industry in the right direction. 
focusing in on how we get uh, more people involved in our sport and uh, keep this moving in a, a positive direction. Absolutely. All right. Taylor, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. All right. All right, I'm joined now by Ellie Connolly, and Ellie is with the Isle Royal Families and Friends Association. So for those that aren't familiar with Isle Royal, Isle Royal is one of our national parks in the United States, and Isle Royal is an island, just as it sounds, out in the middle of Lake Superior, so 53 miles from Michigan, 9 miles from Canada, and 15 miles from, uh, from Minnesota, roughly. Um, it's uh, 45 miles long at its longest uh, stretch there and nine miles wide at its widest point. So, and it's, it's rumored to be the second least visited national park in the system, but the one with the highest return rate of any of the national parks. So, Elliot, you're with the Isle Royal Family and Friends Association. So tell us one of the, some of the things that make Isle Royal so unique and so different as a park. Well, it's isolation is one thing, and it's, it's hard to be out there um, all year round. In fact, very few people have been able to make it through the winter. There's been some people who did um, homestead it back in the 20s and 30s, um, but it's 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 very rough, very tough, and there is um, no extra support. Once you're out there in the winter, you're out there. So the park is really now only open from the middle of May till the, um, I think the middle of October, you can still go out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, it, there were, at one time, you know, back in 1800s, early 1900s, there were a number of resorts on the island, and uh, there were steamships that would travel up there and take people there, and with the advent of, uh, of highways and that, the people could get to other places. They didn't necessarily do that anymore, but there were families that have cabins on the island, and some of those are still there. That's, That's where you came from. <laughs> That's right, and I'm in one of those. So um, there was the Steamship America, which is very famous in Lake Superior as applied from Duluth up to Canada to, well, it wasn't in, uh, International Falls, and it was Port Arthur, Fort William, and then to Isle Royal, and then back down again. And they would pick up um, fish from the commercial fishermen and bring out ice for the commercial fishermen. It was a at that point, it was, which we're talking about, um, late 1800s, early 1900s, was a big fishing community out there and supplying a lot of fish for the Midwest, fresh fish. Okay. All right. Now, the, now tell us about some of the families that have had life leases and, and, and places on the islands. Sure. So I'm in the Tobin Harbor area, which is at the eastern end, um, but there was a community at the western end, which was mostly um, commercial fishermen. So... That was one big segment, and then there were some resort owners at almost every segment, east, west, north, and south, there was um, a resort or two. And people would come out on the Steamship America and come and vacation out there, especially hay fever sufferers, and this is in the days before air conditioning, so if it was a really hot summer, they would be... Um, um, broadcasting in like the Chicago area to get people to come up. Okay. And so a lot of families came up and it was um, either families who were fairly well off or like my family, my grandfather was a minister and loved to fish and he had the summers off. And so he asked the congregant in Kansas, where is there good fishing? Well, there wasn't a lot of good fishing in Kansas. So <laughs> the congregants said, out at Isle Royal, and my grandfather went out there, and the family's been out there in some form or another since um, 1908. Okay. All right. And um, he would go out there with his family, my, my dad and my aunt, and stay there all summer from pretty much Memorial Day to Labor Day. Okay. Now, how many families um, have cabins on the island now? About 15 to 20. Okay. All right. So there's not a lot of us, and, and it's a, you know, kind of a peculiar situation because when the, um, the families always had a family association since 1912 because they thought it would be a good national park, but it took quite a while for that to all happen and didn't until 1940. And at that time, the... Um, landowners were able to, um, through eminent domain, keep a lease and or sell to the park. And some people sold because it was the depression and the $500 that they would get was a lot of money. Okay. All right. 
So those 15 to 20 families now, um, they, they still have a life lease on the property and they can still maintain the property. Um, that's not exactly how it works. Okay. So as the leases died off, then family members that were on the lease could be on it and then they've gone to special use permits and now volunteer in parks. And now we're working with the park on arrangements to keep the families out there because the Tobin Harbor District is a historic landmark and it's a historic community, which means it's very unusual and worth saving. It, the cabins are old. We, you know, we don't. These are not like fancy mansions. They're, I call them wooden tents. <laughs> and we have no electricity. We have no running water. You know, we can't use power tools. I, we do have a battery-run weather radio because weather on Lake Superior is so important. Sure. So that sort of thing is kept out there. You know, we keep that out there. But um, so it's rugged and we're always doing like projects like roofing and imagine roofing without power tools and stuff. So that's, and no, no hardware store to run to. <laughs> so and it was interesting because there were blue collar workers and then you know, bankers and then people like my grandfather who were ministers or writers or teachers. And so it was, you know, a cross-section all working together on a common goal. So that's a little peculiar. All right. Well, what you give up in terms of uh, creature comforts that we're familiar with today, you certainly have in, in views and in beauty. It is a phenomenal place. And I would really encourage anybody who ever has the opportunity to get out to Isle Royal to make sure they get out to Isle Royal. I, I agree. I mean, the, the landscape is gorgeous, but then it's really interesting because like the orchids, it's got a really rich orchid population that's very unique, and it has blueberries that are great, and, you know, and then there's the lighthouses, and there's fishing, and so there's a lot to do. Some people just think of it as backpacking and moose and wolves, but there's much more to it. Absolutely. Well, um, so Elliot, how would someone find out about the Isle Royal Families and Friends Association? Well, thank you for asking that, John. <laughs> <laughs> they can go to IRFA, I-R-F-F-A dot org, and that's our website. And we've got lots about the families and different things that we're up to. So, And it has histories. There's also some on the park website, the Isle Royal National Park website, too. Excellent. Ellie, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, John. I've appreciated it. You're welcome. <laughs> Joining me next is Ethan Shyway, and Ethan is the sales manager for Rutabaga Paddle Sports and the show organizer for Canoe Copia, the world's largest paddle sports expo. Welcome, Ethan. Thanks, John. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah. So Ethan was on a previous episode. Um, he was a, a speaker for us uh, talking about Jake Stahoviak in, uh, in a recent episode where we remembered our friend Jake Stahoviak. So, Ethan, tell us about Canoe Copia. What is this thing? Yeah, Canucopia is a pretty significant consumer paddle sports uh, expo, largest in the world as far as we're concerned. We get several thousand people from all over the country here. We actually ran license plates in the parking lot, and we've seen Pennsylvania, Montana, uh, stuff over a thousand miles away. So everyone's joining us here. Uh, it's a first sign of spring for many of us, especially in the upper Midwest and, you know, canoe and kayak country up here. Yeah, so this is always the second weekend in March? Yep, always the second week, second full weekend in March. All right, I know I've been coming here for, I think this is the ninth, maybe the tenth year, and uh, it, it is always the spring paddling family reunion. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always nice to see everyone again for the, you know, first time, whether it's in a year or just catching up on stories from trips over the summer. Yeah, it's, it's much more than just a trade show. It's, it's really a, a lot of connections are made here and lifeline friendships are, are kindled and rekindled here. I think that's the number one thing about Canucopia is, yeah, you know, it's a sales event, it's a speaking event, but, you know, at its heart, at its core, it's a community event. Yeah. So it's 100,000 square feet. Is that about right? Uh, yeah. All right. So 100,000 square feet at the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. What's, uh, what's new? What's different happening here? You know, it's, uh, w while we call it canoe copia, it's not just canoes. Uh, you know, obviously kayaks, stand-up paddle boards, paddle clothing, but tons of camping, tons of roof racks. Uh, we bring vendors in that we don't normally sell in the store. So even what you see at the store at Rutabaga Paddle Sports, it's not only what you're going to see at Canoe Copia. Um, you know, on top of that, we bring in over 100 presenters. We have um, 
you know, many, many presenters doing multiple speaking um, arrangements here and filling up hundreds of people through the rooms. We've got, you know, somewhere around eight, pre eight presentations at any given time. Yeah, it's, it's quite, a, quite an activity. So how many people go into producing Canucopia? Uh, <laughs> um, many. Uh, <laughs> and we start, it in a, we start planning for next year in about two, two days. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, th at the shop, you know, there's a, there's a good chunk, about 10 to 12 of us, that, that plan various aspects of the show. All right. And then uh, for show, for the actual execution of the show, about how many people are, are on staff for that? Hmm. About th three or four of us uh, that take care of the, uh, the, the fine, finer details of the show and work with the Alliant Energy Center here. All right, but then you've got cashiers, you've got volunteers. Yeah, that's you've where got we're going with it. Yeah, we <laughs> actually uh, hired about 150 people to help us out with the show this weekend. Um, on top of our uh, you know, 20, 30 core staff at the shop, including all of our instructors, people we see at the Door County CCAG Symposium come and help us out. Um, and the, the people we hire are paddlers. Um, you know, they're our friends, they're our family. Uh, it's funny, we rarely ever have to advertise it. We never have to go through a temp agency. People just come to us and say, hey, I want to work in Ucopia, and we get them in. Yeah. So much like the, the most common question at Disney World is what time is the 3 o'clock parade? I'm going to ask the question, where's the rutabaga booth? <laughs> the whole thing's the rutabaga booth. It's all <laughs> us. Yeah, so 100,000 square feet. This is all rutabaga's inventory but the manufacturers are here to support it. Yeah, we move our entire store to the Expo Center here. There's very few products left at the store. We move our fixtures over there. Uh, we close the store down a day or two days before the show starts just so that we can get everything over here. And then uh, starting here in about an hour, we're going to spend about four or five hours bringing it all back. All right. Uh, and rapid, and, and you know, work through that rapidly so we can get out of the, out of the floor here. So, what, uh, so how long does it take to empty this entire 100,000 square foot arena out? Well, we always have the goal of five hours, but it never really ends up that way. Um, last year, it took us about seven and a half hours to get out of here. You know, there is about 300 canoes and kayaks on the floor, so getting all of those out of here is <laughs> quite the logistical uh, chore. Um, it always works out, but and then product-wise, you know, all of our boxes, we got to box everything up and get them on the trucks to get back to the store. Yeah, trade shoe booths and all that stuff to take care of. Yep. So speaking of the store, Rutabaga's just built a new store. Yeah, um, we broke ground in June and opened up in December, so... We, uh, we wanted a more uh, sustainable and fresher store. We've got a, uh, there's about 100 solar panels on the roof. We've got light harvesting tubes to spread light into the sales floor instead of using more lights on the floor. Uh, everything was built with sustainability in mind. Our pond that we're gonna be doing test battles in has an oxygenation system in it. So it's powered off of the solar. So uh, it's a pretty, Pretty, um, pretty beautiful spot, and we're happy to be there. Cool. So, Ethan, if uh, if somebody wanted to find Canucopia online and find Rutabaga online, where would they go? Yeah, so Canucopia.com gives you most of the details on what Canucopia is, and then Rutabaga.com for everything from our e-commerce page, but then gets you into our classes, our trips, our CCAG symposium, and all, all the other events that we host and run. Fantastic. Well, thank, thanks to you, to the staff, to all the volunteers, for everybody for running Canucopia, for keeping it going. We really appreciate it, and I uh, look forward to seeing you back here next year. Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you, too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit PaddlingExercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Canoe Copia is always a favorite for me. It's more than gear, it's the friendships. And as we emerge from a long winter, it's nice to get together with friends and talk about past adventures and future adventures that we'll have together. 
It's things like this that remind you what a great community of paddlers we have around us. Thank you for being so much fun. And again, a big thanks to our partners, Level 6, Rutabaga, and Online Sea Kayaking for extending special offers to you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 drywear or other kit, visit their website at level6.com and use the coupon code PDBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. Or you can also visit rutabaga.com, use the same code PTBPodcast at checkout, and get 10% off Level 6 gear from there as well. And visit onlineseakayaking.com, take advantage of the great video lessons that James and Simon have assembled. Just enter the code, again, PTBPodcast at checkout to get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Our next episode, you'll get to hear firsthand from Richard Barnes, the man who recently completed a solo kayak crossing of the Tasman Sea, from Australia to New Zealand, in a boat that he made. His is only the second solo and the first unassisted. So I look forward to bringing that one to you. And with that, until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.